So I got my haircut last week. I can tell. Yeah. And and you don't you don't your wife cut your hair, right? At least cut your hair. So yep. y- it's been like years since you've gone somewhere to have your hair cut, right? No, she she's been refusing lately. Oh, really? Yeah. We've had some fierce battles over my I that's why if you notice my hair got really bad really yeah, really long right. recently cuz i i refused to go back i went to one place and i was like i'm done yeah so yeah she's did back they, to cut did they shampoo your hair to the place you went to no okay see that's my issue and we've talked about this before yeah but i i went to this place and, and i go during work right because i go during my lunch it's the only time i can go during the day and i just go to one of these like like hair cutting mills right it's like a hair i think it's hair cuttery right which is like a slum right and <laughs> and I that's where I go. I go during my lunch. I have thirty minutes. I need to get in, get out. You know, right? And it and I go like, it it's a it's a like three or four months in between getting a haircut because I just hate the experience oh, so, so much. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's such a it's terrible awful. experience, and it's made that much worse by well, first of all, I go in, and I told you about the girl that cut my hair before at this place, the girl who was really overweight. Mm-hmm. And like she couldn't, she Bump kept like into bumping into me and nudging mm-hmm. me around, and it was right. just really uncomfortable. So that was like three months ago. I go in this past whenever it was, I think like last Friday or Thursday or whatever, and she's working the counter. Okay, and she goes, she asks for my phone number or whatever, pulls me up, and then she says, "Would you like anyone in particular?" Uh-huh. Right, and I'm thinking like, does she recognize me? Like. There, I it would I, I imagine it'd be hard to forget like this red hair red hair right so I'm just like no <laughs> right because <laughs> I, I don't want her cutting my hair again so right. anyways I go back they sit me down and she's like this woman that cut my hair last time she's like mean mugging me the whole time I can see her in the mirror like she's just sitting down in the chair she's not Looking doing at anything you. she's like constantly like glaring at me but anyway so they cut my hair haircut goes fine no problems with it. And then after it's done, she says, she says, right? She does not ask me. She says, let's go to the back and wash your hair so we can get all of the loose hair follicles, particles or whatever out, right? And This is after the cut. This is after the cut, right? I, I don't want my hair washed. I just want my hair to be cut and Never I want to be able this. to leave, right? Absolutely. And, get out of there. And But because she's not asking me, I feel like by saying no, I'm either like this being is the rude, second strike, right, or I'm or I'm also like kind of implicitly saying like no, just leave all of that loose hair in my head. Like right. I like that. I like to like leave <laughs> trails of cut <laughs> hair as I walk down the hallway or whatever. So I'm just like, uh, all right, right, and I go to the back and she starts washing my hair and it's just like such an uncomfortable experience. You're already like, blushing telling this story. Exactly. I don't know how I don't know how this has become the norm. I don't know how people have become comfortable with this. Like I'm 32 years old, right? Like Indiana's five, right? And he's, you still give him a bath, right? He doesn't bathe himself. Nope. Yep. Right. So I I would say maybe around like six, seven or eight kids Mm -hmm. start bathing themselves. So it's been probably like 25 to 26 years since another person has washed my hair. Knowingly. That, that first contact is so unsettling right and it just made me feel so weird and so i'm sitting there and it's like i just don't know what to do my with myself because like 
as I'm sitting, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to act normal and get through this. So I'm sitting there, I'm like laying back and I'm just looking at the ceiling. But then I realize like, I, my eyes are like wide open and I probably look like terrified, some kind of psychopath right now. Right. <laughs> so then I close my eyes, but then I start thinking like, I don't want this girl to get the impression that I'm like really getting into, into this it, by like yeah. closing my eyes. So then I open them again and it's just like this back and forth cycle to where I'm just like, eventually I'm just like closing and opening my eyes until it's over with. It's, I just don't, it's like, that's the third time that's happened to me. And the first time was at a completely different place. The first two times where I was at a different place. And those were just like, like I said, I just don't get it. I don't understand how it's become the norm. Well, you know, it, it kind of makes me, hearing you tell that story, it makes me think about like senior pictures. Like everybody laughs at people's senior pictures. But I feel like there's an element of that where when you walk in and you see the photographer has like a ladder set up Mm -hmm. you go like this is gonna be a terror like (laughs) how am i supposed to act natural on this ladder right you know and then you think about like if somebody did look natural on a ladder you'd think that person was a psychopath so just like with the hair washing it's like you're like act natural act natural but how are you supposed to act natural with somebody what a stranger right. washing your hair it's not a natural act it's not a natural right? act like yeah. if you did look natural getting your hair washed by a stranger i think other people would notice and be like that guy's a weirdo yeah you or know? like you'd have to be like a king right <laughs> like kings are used to getting their hair washed yeah maybe by other people so can you imagine like what person walks into a photographer's studio and sees a ladder <laughs> and goes yes <laughs> right or they request it specifically Right. Can I have a ladder for this photo shoot? <laughs> I really feel comfortable halfway up a ladder. That's yeah. my that's my zone. <laughs> and Elise used to cut my hair, right? Yeah. But it's like now. Well, now. And I used to shampoo it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was completely normal. I'm right. used to that. Yeah. Maybe I can just start bringing you with me to get my hair cut. And Ugh. then when they say, you know, let's wash your hair. I just like, I've got a guy for that. Right. <laughs> 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 oh man so my whole role will be to stand there and just when <laughs> when you see i got a guy just kind of nod at them <laughs> yeah. look look normal and natural right uh, elise would love that though like not me washing hair but me going like she does not want to cut my hair anymore yeah well it's a it's a hassle it is right? a hassle. it's a t- it's a lot of it consumes a lot of time and i understand it's a pain in the butt yeah all right well this is uh everything is interesting especially haircuts <laughs> yeah <laughs> My name is Justin Blizzard, and I'm here with Keith Krepko. Today, we are going to talk about... We're going to switch it up slightly. We're going to talk briefly about a documentary currently on Netflix called Maiden Trip. And uh, after that, we're going to spend a a longer amount of time talking about football and violence and, you know what that all encompasses with football. Should we be watching it? Do you feel guilty watching it? You know, blah, 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 blah. All the hot topic stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that football is back in full swing. Right. And like 90% of the league is injured already. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, and then we'll finish with a follow-up to last show's recommendations, and Keith will recommend something new. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with Maiden Trip.
Maiden Trip is a documentary from last year, I believe, right? 2013. Mm-hmm. And it's about a girl from the... Holland. Holland. So she's Dutch, right? Yeah. That's well, what, well, I mean, that's that. it's partly addressed in there where she was born in New Zealand, right. raised in Holland, but does not that's identify right. with that's the right. with people from Holland and right. goes through an identity crisis. But for all intents and purposes, she's yes. Dutch, right? Well, I guess maybe that's not true. If she was born somewhere else, she was raised in Holland, though. Yeah. Um, and that that whole uh, that I'll come back to that later. But there is a reason for the Dutch thing I'm mentioning it. But anyways, it's a documentary about a girl, a 14 year old girl who decides that she wants to be the youngest person to sail around the world solo, um, and she ends up doing it with the help of her father. They you know, find a boat, fix it up. Uh, and that's, that's basically the documentary. It follows her around. I be, and I believe this is something I wanted to ask you just to clarify, uh, a clarifying point at the beginning of the documentary. Does it say that all of the footage was filmed by her? Well, it says, yeah, at some it says point, something like that. At, right? so, at some point it's like all the footage is filmed by, uh, Laura, no, wait, what's her name? I think her name's Laura. Laura. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. Maybe <laughs> it isn't. Um, but there, there are clearly some reenactments. Right. Reenactments or, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's some things like, I don't know how they would reenact the shots with the family she found. Right. Yeah. And those shots were clearly not filmed by her. Well, I think, I think there are probably some times where she asked somebody to right. film her yeah. or there's that journalist with her who maybe. Right you know, film some of it. I think some of that, but like there's one shot of her, like going into the Galapagos or something. Mm -hmm. It's like an aerial shot of, of the um, boat. And I'm like, okay, either this is somebody getting an aerial shot of her coming in when she did generic stock footage or something, or or it's a reenactment because it looks like her boat. You know what I mean? So I'm like, uh, yeah, her name is Laura Decker. And so, yeah, it's kind of confusing all the stuff. I, I guess I feel like the alternate title, I don't mean this in a negative way, but mm-hmm. I feel like the alternate title could be like Selfie the Movie. Right. I'm, it's interesting you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot, like that footage is clearly her shooting herself. Right. Yeah. Like, I was going to mention that was one of the main things I want to talk about. But yeah, so it's a documentary about Laura Decker, who's, who's 14 at the beginning of the documentary. She sails around the world by herself. She films it you know, the footage is supposed to be all filmed by her more or less. Um, but I wanted to sort of get general impressions out of the way before we talk any further about it, because it is a documentary. There's not much to spoil and any sort of any points that we talk about. And there's not, there's not really a, at least I didn't feel like, like a unifying theme throughout the documentary. I mean, it's a documentary, so you're just following this girl around. Yeah. So what did you think of the movie? Would you recommend it? Did you like it? Uh, you know, I did like it. I think, like you said, there's a lack of a unifying theme. I think there's a lack of the specificity of the sailing. Um, you know, storm is up and there's like 15 seconds of like, this is me in the storm. And then it's like, it never really seemed that bad. Right. Yeah. It it never, you don't get a sense of danger. And, And part of that too is probably like, this is a 14 year old girl, like recording this footage the footage of her dancing. Like, right. it's not like she's sitting there and being like, this is what I am doing. Like, this is the sailing techniques I am. Right. I am uh, 
incorporating here. Uh, and she seems to know her stuff. You right, know? that's the thing. Yeah, there's not a lot in there, but she definitely knows what she's doing. Yes. I mean, she literally <laughs> sails around the world yeah. by herself. So, yeah. you know, she knows what the deal is. And and there are hints of something interesting going on, you know, and, and pretty much like the two minutes of footage of her with that um, reporter, where the reporter's trying to like, so this is about, you know, a trip about independence and all, and she kind of freaks out. Yeah. Like I felt like the, the reporter was really hitting close in, in articulating things that she couldn't herself and mm-hmm. made her really uncomfortable that I felt like was interesting. See, I read that differently. Did you? Yeah. And that was, that was sort of the one thing, sort of a loose theme I pulled out of the documentary was that for me, it's kind of like, it's kind of was about what, isolation can do to you yeah you know what i mean like i lived alone for a year in arizona like i was two to three thousand miles removed from anybody i'd known for a significant portion of my life and i wasn't alone like i worked but when i was at home i was alone right and it makes you i don't want to say selfish i don't feel like i was ever selfish but it makes you like pretty intolerable of other people, other people. Right. right? And like, that's what I got from that scene. It just, to me, it felt like it felt less like her being sensitive about going through in her independence and more about, even though she does talk about that later in the documentary, I think where she talks about how she doesn't really miss her dad anymore. Right. But to me, it felt less about that and more about like her being so used to being alone and not having to answer to anybody else and being able to do whatever she wanted to do. That was just like, I'm tired of you. Please go away. I wish I was, I wish nobody was around me right now. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, I think that's part of it. I think that's definitely there. Cause, Cause that is kind of a through line. I would say if you had to yeah. put, push something, what would be it? But, but I think that there is something to that, as that that fits with what the reporter and maybe and maybe the the reporter is just trying to intellectualize something that is just primal, like you're saying, like I just don't want to be around people. Right. And this is a way for me not to be around people and to accomplish something. Yeah. You know that 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 I love. You know. So so that that's interesting. But I do I do think that the reporter was hitting on something that maybe the even if the girl didn't articulate was kind of at yeah. least at that moment about her being like declaring her independence from her father. Yeah. Um, in in a way that I felt was interesting. I guess the the other thing that I kind of um, latched onto with, with the film is this idea of this quest being very personal to this girl, mm-hmm. and not to get too belabored on this point because I I don't think the film is really saying this. I don't want to sound like a crotchety old mm-hmm. man. But there's, you know, she starts off and at one point she's like, it seems like all anybody wants to do is like get married, get a house, have kids, right? get a dog and die. And secretly I was like, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then, the, and then there's this idea of like, you know, this is li- living, like life on the ocean, right. circumnavigating the globe. Being alone, and I feel like there's this glorification or, or, or a dangerous glorification uh-huh. of like a girl who had a hard family life, who grew up 
self-independent, who's looking for her own independence and finding it on this trip. And in some ways, using that as a prescription for like, you working a crappy job, you know, like any job outside of that is crappy. Anybody who is not like pursuing life like she is, yeah. is not living. That I feel like it's kind of, you know, pandering and wrong. And, you know, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with mm-hmm. because I like my life. Uh-huh. I like coming home to a five-year-old. You know what I right. mean? Like, I, I feel like my role as providing for him and working a job um, that's not like taking me to the Galapagos and taking me to like the French, um, uh, where, where's the, in the, in the Bahamas or whatever, mm. um, or New Zealand. Like, you know, I haven't gone to those places. I mm-hmm. don't feel compelled though to like drop everything and jump on a boat and go like live life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I really didn't. I didn't get, I didn't really get that. I mean, she definitely does talk about that in the documentary. I didn't feel like it was being like nailed on the head really. Yeah. But a lot of that could be because I don't want to drop everything and go sail around the world. But like, like I said, like I lived in Arizona for a year in the desert in the like pretty deep desert and I loved it, right? I loved being around the mountains. I loved going out and riding my bike for miles every day. And so I feel like if I could sort of marry my life now, like if I could transplant transplant everything I have now into, into that Arizona. desert, <laughs> I would be, it would be perfect, right. right? Like that's not to say I'm unhappy with my life now, but it's like, yeah, I have a, I have a, a dog that I'm happy with and a wife that I love and I'm happy with and two daughters that like, it's like, or that I love and I'm very happy with, but my job as grateful as I am to have it. And as you know, well as it, as it provides for me stinks and I don't like it. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like the neighborhood I live in kind of stinks and I don't like it. And I don't feel like I can, the like pipes in your house, walk, right? Like my house is a falling apart, and so it's like I feel like there is a lot of credence is the wrong word, but for me there is that desire. Like I would love to take Willie, Julia, and my daughters and sail around the world, right? Yeah, I would love to do that and not yeah. have to work every, and just live on a boat for a however long it took her to, a year and a half, five hundred yeah. days. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be seasick. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't do it. I, you know, and yeah, it's not like a, a, a hatred of travel. Like I would yeah. love to go, go those places. And it definitely got me thinking like, uh, I got to go on a river cruise in Germany for a bunch of right days. And I'm like, I would love to transplant like all my close friends onto a boat like that for two weeks, yeah. you know, and experience Germany or something like that. Like, like I want, but I feel like that is, that's a good trade-off for me. Like I wouldn't mind working the job that I'm working that would then afford me like mm-hmm. a week or two of vacation mm-hmm. that would be like in the mountains or with people that I care about and would be awesome. Yeah. Versus like, here's a year and a half, go sail, you know, and you're going to spend a bunch of days like 
not moving on the ocean. You know what I mean? That sounds wonderful to me. Uh, see, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I could, you know, I feel like, you know, it, it, it totally depends on the person, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and, and you, you know, you can't look at anybody working like somebody, you know, I, I don't feel bad. Like when I'm driving, I see somebody like cutting grass. That guy may be like, I would look loving I would it. love to cut grass for the rest of my life. Right. If it paid me a certain amount of money, I would at in a heartbeat go back to being right. a groundskeeper. In a heartbeat. If it paid me forty thousand dollars a year, yeah. no question in my mind I would do it right, right. now. One one moment that I found interesting. Well, I'll say first that I really liked the documentary too. I thought it was I thought it was really good. Um, my wife was the one who suggested it, so we watched it the other night. I hadn't heard of it. I guess she just saw it on Netflix. But yeah, I would recommend it. I would say it's quick. Yeah. It's 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 like easy viewing. You know yeah. what I mean? There's not much to it. Yeah. It's good. But one thing I wanted to, um, or actually the one thing I want to talk about, which you mentioned earlier, is you said this was basically selfie the documentary. And one thing that I noticed, like the movie is shot very well, right? It's shot on yeah. a, for, for being done by a 14 year old. Yeah. It's shot on like a really nice camera. Yeah. And it looks great. But... <clears throat> There, I would say there's maybe like a 60, 40 to 70, 30 split of like the 70 being just her videotaping herself. And then the 30% being like the amazing vistas that <laughs> she's surrounded by, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Or like the, the mountains that she's yeah, hiking that, up. Yeah, that's... Um, and I and I my question initially was just going to be if you noticed that or if I or if that was just sort of like my curmudgeonly side being like, look <laughs> at this teenager. All she's concerned about is filming herself while she's taking this while she's surrounded by this like immeasurable beauty. You know what I mean? So obviously that was something you noticed as well. Yeah, I, I I'm not as critical of it, though. I feel like obviously this director, I think was in on this from the beginning and, and right. probably gave her this and maybe gave her instructions of like, you know, put yourself in this, like talk to the camera right. a lot, talk about like this. talk right. about this. So, you know, I, I think that she, I, I don't know that she was just like, you know, Kim Kardashian would have just sailed right into a mountain, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And just been recording herself the whole time. Like right. this girl seems like she was sailing. She was doing what she needed to be doing, you know, what she was doing. And then she was just trying to include herself. But I mean, there are just a lot of scenes of her just like not talking and just like staring at the camera. Like filming and like herself eating. Looking up and then looking back and then looking right. up again, looking back at the camera. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was I noticed it too and I my I guess my initial question was how much of this is just like a teenager filming herself? How much of it is shot selection? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is the director just being like Yeah. We're just What gonna, can we use? Right. Just exactly. have her what, in it. Yeah, what what is usable here? Uh but it, I definitely thought it was interesting, you know, especially considering the trends and technology and, and so forth. Yeah, and I I was interested too in how the documentary came about because I I would have liked you know, maybe to get her on board from the very beginning on like, we're going to do this documentary and we're going to follow you for a little bit. Like maybe here, like for a thousand miles or whatever, this journey and this, like we are going to be like gang footage of you following you, maybe not interviewing you, mm -hmm. but, but to try and give us some context of it because yeah, during a storm, she's not going to be like, let me get my camera. You know what I mean? And I don't think that she was, 
thinking to like walk us through the steps of what she is doing, which I would have been interested in, Mm -hmm. in terms of a documentary, what kind of, you know, sailing, you know, skills is she evidencing at this point in this point and that point, you know, but, but it kind of lacks context. But that's fine. You know, you get her perspective, which right. is which is interesting. Yeah, and and her sp- speaking of her perspective too. This is this is sort of the this is the this is one thing that I really noticed that I wanted to get your take on. I think early on in the documentary, or at least in the earlier half of the documentary, she says something like she's talking to the camera. There's a lot of moments where she's just kind of you, you can't really tell if it's like post voiceover. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just her like speaking to the camera while she's on the trip, but there's a there's a moment where she's talking about maybe like her impetus for taking the trip, being on on the seas, blah blah. blah. And she says, uh, she says, nobody said life was easy, <laughs> and <laughs> I thought it was a very revealing moment for this 14 year old girl who is literally taking two years out of her life to sail around the world, you know, to kind of backhandedly complain about how difficult her trip was. You know what I mean? For me, it was like, like I said, it was very genuine. I don't, I'm not trying to like judge her for it, but at the same time, I thought it did a good job of sort of like portraying just how young and sort of naive this girl was, despite the, incredibly like a grown up task she was taking on. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's that's one thing that you know I would say like there's you know part of this story is deeply sad, right? Yeah. And the sadness is that you know her family seemed to be kind of broken. Right. Um her childhood seemed to be kind of broken that she seems to be a product of isolation. Mhm. And that she is kind of doing this in some ways to stake that independence at 14, like feeling that she needed to do this at 14, which, you know, we can sit back and be like, that's amazing. But also I hope Indy doesn't feel like at 14, like when I want to ask you, yeah, like dad, I gotta go do this. I'd be like, who are you? Sit down. <laughs> like right. we're watching Jeopardy tonight. And, right. You know, we're going to watch Monday night football later on. Yeah. Like that's what we're, that's what you're doing at 14, you yeah. know? Um, and so I think that there is something that's, that's deeply sad about this, uh, about this story. And it, there are moments where like, yeah, it's like, she's 14, 15, right. even 16. Like, you know, being at sea for this long, that isn't necessarily the project of, of, you know, kind of, total happiness and well-adjusted, uh, well, well adjustment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So do you have any feelings either way towards a 14 year old being allowed to do this? L- like I said, I would not have any problems, especially cause it's not my kid. You right. know what I mean? If, if the child was like, I grew up like her background is like, I grew up on the boats. Right. I've been, I, I, she sailed to England. Right. right? Like, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, it's not her first ever sailing trip. Like exactly. She's sailed to a lot of places by herself before. It's not like deep water, you know, with a guy who's like, I've never done this before. I'm going out <laughs> right. like, you know, um, yeah. so I, I would be I would be fine with it. And, uh, you know, but again, I think that there is something sad about 14 year old even having this idea to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. 
That's interesting. I guess I never, it never really struck me as sad. It just kind of struck me as something a 14 year old would want to do, I guess. Really? I, you know, and, and I guess to to me too, like, you know, you, you talked about that quote from her kind of revealing her age. Right. I feel like too, like at the very end, we get like a two second clip where she's like, I just wanted to keep sailing. It's like, Laura picked up a boy to sail. You know, it's like. That definitely was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> of course. You know, I'm like, of course she picked up a boy. Right. She's 16. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of this documentary does not fundamentally change. Like the fact that she's a 14 year old right, girl. Exactly. And that she's a 16 year old girl. Like that's, that's one problem that I have with, you know, kind of our culture having this obsession with like, you know, making children look like adults or yeah. act like adults or because they, they're not, and yeah. they don't act that way. And, why are we shocked when we see, you know, youths who are forced into these adult roles and situations growing up to be like troubled adults? You yeah. know, it's like yeah. it's not shocking because they may have talent, they may have ability, but it doesn't change the fundamental fact that they're a child, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you had to talk about? I don't think so. I think that's I think that's it. And and I I want to make sure that I'm not sounding too like yeah. down on sure. her or the documentary. I thought it was a really interesting documentary. Yeah, it's well made. Well made. Anybody who wants to, you know, climb a mountain at 14 and sail the world, I'll watch their documentary. Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to to uh bring up and I wanted to know if you noticed it. There is a there is a very confusing a uh, YouTube video that I l- love to watch that I've shared with a lot of people around me. Uh-huh. And it's of a uh, TV host, a German. She said, or- I want to kick these I waves. I want to kick the waves I'm sorry, to the I'm moon. Jumping. Yeah, yes. go. No. So there's a YouTube video of a, I'm guessing a Dutch TV host. And he gets into this like rappy, sing songy contest where he's singing about kicking a burger to the moon and then some guy comes out and like later hose in and is doing like a the russian <laughs> jig and he's trying to kick a hamburger off of like a a ski pole uh, yeah like a <laughs> ski pole or like a giant skewer or like a pike or something <laughs> and for years it has been so like it's hilarious first of all but it's just like what are these people singing about kick the burger to the moon and then in the documentary right she says something like I just want to kick these waves to the moon. So I guess it's just some sort of like Dutch saying. Yeah. Dutch saying like, I'm going to kick this whatever to the moon because they're frustrated with it. So maybe these like guys are like fed up with burgers or something. We, we, we need to link to that somewhere in like the show notes yeah, or on the web, to website or whatever, but it is that totally, it, I, I totally, I wanted to tweet you when I saw it yeah. the first time. Yeah. Cause that totally stood out. I was like, Justin is getting closer to the origin <laughs> of it's like the Holy Grail. Right. Where did the kick the burger from the moon right. guy come from? What is his deal? <laughs> What's yeah. he saying? Right. All right. So that's Maiden Trip. We both really enjoyed it. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll come back with the NFL.
the spotlight has been on the NFL recently and not for a good reason, right? There's been a lot with the Ray Rice controversy. Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, all the domestic violence stuff. I don't think we're going to talk about that specifically. It may come up. Uh, But what we're interested in talking about is why do people watch football? Why do we watch football? Because we both watch football, right? Every Sunday we do the fantasy stuff. We do the daily stuff. Um, And there's been a growing movement, especially with all of this domestic violence stuff, with like the uh, Redskins name. There's been a growing sort of anti-football kind of intellectual movement Movement, of we shouldn't be watching this sport. We shouldn't be supporting this sport. So we're going to explore that aspect of it. We're going to talk about why we watch football. Should we feel bad about watching football? Should we stop How watching bad football? <laughs> right. Altogether. So why do you watch football? And do you feel bad while you watch football? Well, yeah. And I guess what, what I want to say too is going into this, one reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because I have not fully settled on my on my stance, on my on my response to some of this. Right. Uh, one thing and I that I think some people would argue that that means you know you shouldn't be watching football. No, I I, <laughs> I honestly I feel like I'm right in the middle. Like right. I I am ready to be swayed either way. Yeah. But I am also shocked at the lack of response I've heard or seen to some of these um, articles and intellectual attacks against football. A counterpoint saying, this is why I watch football. This is why I watch football. this is why it's okay. Right. More than just like, because I like it, Uh you know, um, because I grew up with it or whatever. Uh, And so I guess I wanted to kind of cycle through some of my reasons for why I watch football. Sure. And then maybe bounce off of you or if anybody else wants to get involved and write and be like, your perspective is paper thin. Your arguments are straw man arguments and there's nothing to it and you need to stop watching football. Right. Um, so I guess, you know, what I'd say starting off is I like watching people test themselves, like push themselves. Like mm-hmm. I love watching documentaries of real feet, feats of, of kind of, uh, human strength and endurance and stuff. So like a 14 year old sailing around the world, like a 14 year old sailing around the world. Like a penguin Even walking. It really off. doesn't seem like a test at all to her. Just or, yeah, yeah. It seems so she breezy. Pretty, she pretty, pretty much breezes right breezes through it. Breezes right through it. Uh, or, you know, Everest is something I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with, right? And so I feel like in, in all of these stories that I like that I'm kind of obsessed with, there is this element of danger that's inherent in, in these pursuits. And there is a counter push that I feel like this intellectual intellectual argument against football is kind of taking, which is like life should be safe. Like we should all be, you know, um, have like all corners sanded off of everything. There should be no sharp edges. Like everyone just needs to be safe. Mm -hmm. And then you're always going to have these people who push themselves, who aren't happy being constrained you know, like that. Mm -hmm. And they will find ways to frankly kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Like it is just ingrained in them. So for me, extreme sports is another thing that I'm like, why aren't people getting upset about like the X games? Like the X games is basically like 
anything that you see these people doing, it's like their bodies are half metal and they have like destroyed themselves just trying to get a piece of wood to slide down like 10 feet of railing, you know? I think the argument against that though is the purpose of skateboarding is not to break your knees though. The purpose is to skateboard. Whereas some could argue that the purpose of football is to hurt somebody else. Maybe, and maybe not the purpose, but it is inherent in the sport. There is, it is unavoidable. You cannot avoid hurting somebody playing football. Whereas if you are a talented enough skater, even though probably statistically all skaters end up breaking something, but if you are careful enough, you can avoid that. Well, okay, and I guess what what I want to say too, a quick distinction starting off, Mm -hmm. there's no way, like there was an NFL cover-up, an attempted cover-up to obscure the, the damaging effects of football on brains. Right. You know, that is, you know, just totally beyond the pale, uncalled for. I don't think the NFL needs to cover it up. And I think that we should be working to make the sport safer in terms of when I have impact, my brain is not literally bleeding, you know, as a, yeah. as a result. So, so that, let, let, let me say that. Now, what I'm reacting to is this call on a moratorium of football, you know, that right. basically football as a sport should not exist, right? you know, and that I should not observe it or watch it. And one guy in particular on uh, a pod or a radio show and podcast we listen to called on point, mm. you know, makes this kind of moral argument against like by watching, I am basically uh, contributing and validating these injuries that these people are facing, you know? And I have a real issue with that. I really don't think my engagement or watching of the sport is in any way me glorifying the violence of the sport itself. I would, I would argue with you that the violence inherent in the sport is the same violence inherent in a lot of other activities. And we should not be, you know, promoting against that reality. I think we should be honestly assessing it. But I don't think that if somebody says, I understand the, the uh, you know, possibility of, of damage to, to my body and myself mm-hmm. in this game, that they should be prevented from doing that. Right. Because where, where does it stop? Like, why, why would we be able to shut down football and not boxing and not f- MMA? Like, that, that's talk about like. You you literally I watched a, a a commercial with a guy like putting a guy into a sleeper hold yeah and like that was like the advertisement and I'm like yeah. you're cutting off a guy's supply of oxygen right. until he passes out like that's not healthy or the X Games or anything else like yeah. I, I don't understand how you can differentiate you know the NFL from all those other activities and endeavors right and for me the argument is not. It's not it, my for me. The argument is not to end all of football. It's not that nobody should be allowed to watch it. Nobody should be allowed to play it. What really bothers me is, like you have said, the lengths that the NFL has gone to cover everything up. Whether it be the Ray Rice stuff, 
or the concussion stuff, or uh, it goes all the way down to what really bothers me and what why I really have a hard time watching it. And some of that is the violence. Like I cannot stand MMA. Like I just can't. I can't Neither watch. Can it. I. I'm not interested in any way. Same thing with boxing. Not interested. Don't me like too. It. And it's starting to apply with football just because the big hits are glorified. They're replayed a million times. And at this point, it, like we said in, in the intro, it's insane the amount of people who, that have been injured already. And it's just like that, first off, as a fan, as someone who follows certain players, that is just like, <laughs> it's just it's like a bummer, <laughs> right? right? Like I'm constantly <laughs> seeing these people who are supposed to be great being injured or whatever. But what really bothers me about it is is the way that the sort of culture has grown to ignore everything around it. And my the the there was a perfect example of this this past weekend when um when uh the Eagles were playing the Redskins, right? And in like the first quarter, like early on in the first quarter, LaShawn McCoy takes a huge hit to the helmet. Did yep. you see that? Yep. Sorry. He immediately throws his helmet off. Like you can tell something is wrong. Right. Like he looks like something. He is looks wrong. dazed. And then he they take him to the locker room to do the concussion protocol, which from what I was seeing on Twitter, people were saying like this protocol has to be 15 minutes, at least 15 minutes. He's back on the sideline with the helmet in his hand like five minutes later, right? Yeah. Like, he clearly did not go through that protocol. And then he goes on and plays the rest of the game. And LaShawn McCoy is one of the best running backs in the league playing against a Washington defense that's not that great. They're and not he, terrible, he right? He didn't do well. And he got barely over 20 yards. And it, to me, the correlation, like, it's, it's there, right? He took this big hit. He's probably concussed, and yet he's still on the field playing. And he's playing. T- I mean, there was a play where he ran down the sideline, like he was out of bounds, and he ran down the so- sideline for like five or six yards. Like, and that could be him just running off steam, maybe. Right. But like, he wasn't going that fast to begin with. <laughs> and like, I kind of got the feeling like maybe he's not totally clear where he's at. Right. And yet, it never once came up again throughout the rest of the game. The announcers never mentioned it again, never talked about him taking the big hit or leaving. And it just was like, it's that mentality that really bothers me, right? And that speaks to the cover-up. It speaks to we don't want the announcers talking about this. We don't want this to be associated with the NFL. That's what bothers me. It's not, I mean, the violence does bother me, but I recognize that that is just a personal taste, right? I feel like the cover-up stuff is larger than just you know, like, well, I don't like to watch violence. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I guess that's that that's probably the crux of the issue then is that I feel like with with the cover up, I don't know. I guess maybe maybe I'm embarrassed to admit my my true feelings on the matter because right. I feel like I am so cynical. But yeah. look at any institution ever in the history of mankind, right? Sure. What what do you have? You have deceit, you have cover-ups, you have conspiracies, you know, and it is exhausting, you know? So when the NFL it in no way is a justification of whatever they try and cover up in their institution and 
the inherent flaws in in the violence of their game. But I'm not surprised when I see an institution not being honest, you know? And it's like, you know, I, I feel like it's not my... <sighs> I would like to see things change. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, really would. And I do not watch replays. If somebody says... If you uh, we're gonna show this replay, if right. you have a weak, I'm like I'm always changing the the, the channel, or I'm always looking away because I don't want to watch RG3 dislocate his ankle. Right, like that that's that's not in any way like uh, uh, uplifting to me or or right. interesting to me. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in in that aspect of the game, but I do feel like saying with where we're at now in the game. There is awareness by the players, and they are culpable now. Like, there's a time, like, when McMahon was playing or whatever, that, yeah, he he has a legitimate kind of beef because they didn't know. Like, I remember being a kid. I know you do, too, right? Smelling salts. I mm. remember, like, looking up to the guys who are like, oh, dude, I wonder what those smelling salts sound, you know, <laughs> smell like and, like, how it just clears your head and, you get, and it gets you back in the game. Yeah. And then you think now you're like, were we all concussed? Right. Everybody watching football that we didn't think, huh, that yeah. guy probably shouldn't be out there, you know, doing that. Yeah. Like that, that is an issue. But, but now that we know it's just like smokers, right? Like if anybody wants to smoke, that's fine. But you know what you're doing to your body. Right. You know, everybody knows what you're doing to your body. Like it doesn't even matter if tobacco companies try and cover it up now because everybody knows. But yeah. guess what? People still smoke. You know what I mean? Like, so what am I supposed to do about it, you know? Yeah, and I think for me, the difference is, and, and with a lot of these arguments, it's there's a million different things you can say, yeah, this, but what about this, right? It all right. just kind of depends on your level of awareness and what you're willing to accept or not. Right. And I think the difference for me is by watching football every Sunday, which I do, I am implicitly supporting this, right? I am one of the viewers that they're trying to get to watch football and i'm saying this is i'm i'm saying out loud this is not okay but then i'm saying with my money by watching which is more important to the corporations than what i actually say that this is okay does that make sense like yeah, i'm supporting yeah. them financially but i'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth basically well and i feel like i'm speaking out of both sides of my like i, I I don't like the comparison argument either, right? Like deal with the with the issue and the task at hand, right? Mm -hmm. Deal with the NFL. So, you know, if the NFL, if we say the sport is too violent, right? I I don't agree with that because I don't see how I don't see as being any more or less violent mm -hmm. than any other sport. Right, that you that you can play that involves any type of contact, right? Yeah. Th then all contact sports. Well, it's needs, more violent need, than need basketball. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you know you could say that, but I mean, there are. Well, yeah, it, it is more violent than, than basketball, and that doesn't say that people don't get horrifically injured playing basketball. Right. But again, to, just to speak to skating, like skateboarding. Yeah. It's it's not like. It's not a, an inherent act within the sport, 
right? Like Ooh. like Paul George snapping in his leg in half is <laughs> right. not something a that action, happens on a... every single play. Whereas there is a very good possibility that if you're going getting tackled by somebody at high speed on every play, you're going to get a concussion. You know what I mean? Just look at like Wes Welker, who's constantly, constantly concussed. Being- but there's a part of like watching football that like I just like like you. I like the competition. Yeah. I like seeing people perform something like at a peak level. Yeah. And the storylines that are built up around the NFL are compelling. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you look at Peyton Manning, who oh, yeah. suffered a horrible injury yeah. during while playing football. But like you take that and then you see him have this year off, have this and surgery come back. and come back like and not only after the surgery, but he's also old at this point. Like yeah. you want to see that guy succeed. Like you want to see, can he do it? Right. Like there's something about that story that is just like compelling. But for me, outside of the like, like I would say at this point, the fantasy angle is what really keeps me watching right, football. Right. Because I like sort of like the back end numbers of that. And yeah. I like mixing and matching things and doing the figures and seeing and looking at the matchups. If it wasn't for that, I would have no problem whatsoever. I feel like not watching football. Yeah, I I just, you know. And I, that might be a worse excuse than just I just like to watch. You know what right, I mean? Like that right, right. probably makes me a terrible person. <laughs> like I don't care if these guys hurt themselves as long win as I me can my play week. my game. Win, <laughs> right? me, win me my week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I. I am compelled by the sport. I love the sport. And that guy on on point admitted that he loves the the, the the sport and thinks it's it's compelling. Right. But until he had to come face to face with the violence of the sport, he just could not endorse it anymore. You know what I mean? But that that style of thought, I I just can't get behind. And one argument they said why the NFL is because of its popularity. Right. That's why he's focusing on the NFL now. But I'm like, yeah, there is a logical conclusion on that train of thought that does not stop at the NFL. Like, if I approach the NFL that way, then I have to approach all areas and facets of life that incorporate violence and, in in my estimation, meaningless violence in a way that would cause me to need to completely, like, shut that down. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like... What is the what is the the outcome that we get out of football, right? You see, it takes a lot of people out of poverty. You know, it creates, and and I know that he would argue about the jobs that it creates. I would say the enjoyment that people get out of it, right? Like, I, I'm not saying that this in any way justifies the, the justifies the sport, right? But, but I'm trying to say, what is the justification? Like, where are the good things that come out of football, and, and then saying like. And this may be stretching it a little bit, but I honestly did think about this. Like, where are the net benefits of, like, um, mass transportation or, like, cars? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the violence inherent in driving a car and the possibility of me killing myself and people in my car or being killed by somebody else driving a car is, like, pretty high. Like, you know, the, the, the amount of deaths that happen, you know, because of automobile accidents. And I'm like... Is that justifiable? Like, is the outcome of mass transportation justify the violence inherent in getting into a car? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think well at this point though, like, I have to have a car to get to work. 
right? Like that's my livelihood. Hey, Justin, not if we change the system and we all start living in smaller communities where but, we're all working but within. Either way, I have to get to work somehow. <laughs> right. right. I don't have to watch football. People don't have to play football. And kids who play uh, football in high school, one out of every 500 actually get to the NFL. Right. And the average uh, career for someone in the NFL is three years. Three years. So right. it's not like it's a, you know, it doesn't last you the rest of your life, especially for something that could uh, physically limit you for the rest of your life. Right. So, you know, the sort of the the poverty, the the being good for people, pulling people out of poverty, that argument is lost on me a little bit. Uh, yeah. Now, I wouldn't say that that is the NFL's problem. Right. I would say that's a, I think society needs to refocus. I think that's, you know, if you go to any, uh, you know, uh, poverty, uh, any, any neighborhood that suffers from poverty, people, a lot of those people think the only way for them to get out of it is, you know, music or sports, right? Or drug dealing, right? Right. That's the old, but, but that's not, a realistic expectation, which I think probably leads to drug dealing or, or theft or whatever. Like if you're, if you're, if you grew up thinking like the only way for me to get out of here is the NFL or for me to be some sort of popular artist. And then it's like, well, there's, that's, there's, I can't play sports. Like what's your only option left? Yeah. And, and there, there are a lot of documentaries of people. There's a great 30 for 30, I can't remember the guy's name. It's mm-hmm. which one of my all-time favorites of a guy who is like supposed to be the next big thing. White guy? No, 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 no. It, it's a black guy, but he gets injured, um, like in the NFL, and he mm-hmm. loses, you know, like everything, mm-hmm. like all of what he was supposed to be, and kind of follows him now, you know. But the one thing that you realize too is like even with um, with that guy, like he's still known for what he did on the field, like back in college like you know like there, there are opportunities that spiral out of that based on somebody now now that, that does not happen for everybody right. right and and i am not saying that that is like a sole justification of of the violence but i think to 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 i i think it's it's limiting on the benefit of the nfl to say that you know just those people who make into the nfl are the only ones who benefit from a dream of of playing sports, right? Like, yeah. like you, you think of like the, the the team aspect with that, which everybody says is like really important, right? To to show people that they can be part of something, not just themselves, but part of what other people are doing and wanting to accomplish. Like that is in immeasurable the the good that it does, and then also to pr- pr- you know present alternate opportunities that people could have whether it's coaching whether it's you know because i did this i met this person and then we went off and did this other thing like you know i I think that there's a lot of positive things that come out that you can't just narrowly look at the nfl and be like you know only these people are the ones who are benefiting all those kids whose dreams are smashed they're all like you know, living in gutters now with broken dreams. Yeah, and know? I'm not saying it's all one way or the other, but I do think, to me, the 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 perception I have is that it leans heavily towards bad than it does good. And as an example of that, like you said, that guy, who whoever the 3030 is about, 
He didn't get paid for any time he played in college. And then he gets injured before that's horrible. Before he can play it all in in the pros. And maybe that does lead to an opportunity. But then you look at Josh Gordon, right? Josh Gordon gets suspended for a year off of a drug charge that the new policy doesn't right. even recognize. And so what does he do? He goes to accept a car salesman job while he's suspended so he can make money, like an honest job, right? And what happens? Everybody starts making fun of him for being a car salesman, <laughs> right? It's like, like why, like why is that? Why are you making fun of him? Like he's trying to like yes. do something yes. in his with his time instead right. of just being a bum or doing whatever. Right. And it's like you know what it is? It's the um, it's the sketch from Chappelle's show, right? Where Chappelle takes a job at McDonald's, right? And he's right. like, I'm going to get an honest job at McDonald's, and every single day, everyone's People making fun, fun of him from working at McDonald's. It's like you can't win. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I I totally and completely agree with that. But again, that's that is more of a cultural problem and issue. No, so, absolutely. So, you know, and and I feel like I feel like too with um, oh gosh, what, what was I going to say about the uh, oh we're on dangerous ground of kind of hitting at the bigger issues there behind everything, right? Which is like that the rich people are dictating our culture to us, right? Yeah. Like that to me, like the owners right of the nfl are a big part of the problem the money distribution in the nfl and college good lord college is a racket yeah absolutely. you know that is that's a travesty you know and and that you know that, that somebody could get penalized for like getting a house for their mom because what because they're putting their body out on the field right. to be destroyed just so the school can like get more donor dollars or whatever, yeah. you know, like that, that, that's, that's horrific. I, I don't even think any well-thinking person who watches college football would, would ever argue against that. No, you know, I, I disagree. There are plenty of people who argue against it. They're all being paid to, to, yeah. to have, have, have that perspective. Well, there are plenty of people who will say they're getting a free education. They're getting, you know, room and board, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I work in higher education. So that's a load of crap. <laughs> so, so look, but I mean, see, all those things are, you know, tangential to the actual issue of the sport of football, right? Well, right, like, and that's kind of that's kind of my point. I don't have an issue with the sport itself. I don't yeah. have an issue. I mean, like I said, personally, I don't like watching that violence. I don't. I'm not going to make a judgment call for everyone else on that. My issue with the way it's hand is is with the way that it is handled with the NFL. Like for example, as much as as much as like it, I work for the I work for the city, right? Right. And with the city, you can get caught doing drugs on the job, and you will not get fired, but you will be forced to attend like a drug rehabilitation program. Why does the NFL not institute that? Why is the NFL saying you got caught busted with drugs, hit the road, good luck, and yeah. if you get caught again, you're out. Why don't they say, you know what, we value your contribution to our league. You're an important player. We're still going to suspend you for four games or whatever. But during those four games, you have to attend. If you want to get back in the, in the, on the team, you have to attend these programs. Right. You have to do this. You know, the guy in the on point brings up a good, a good uh, point. The NFL is a $10 billion business. Yeah. Why are they not offering lifetime health care to these yes. to these guys after they leave yeah. the league? Like, yeah. like I'm sure 99% of these players have 
lasting injuries for the rest of their lives. And instead, after five years, they've got no more insurance. See, and and see, like I completely agree. But I guess, like I was saying before, like my cynicism about institutions takes hold, and I say there are so many broken systems and institutions in our culture. Sure. The educational system is another racket. You know what I mean? Like my my tax dollars, if I trace where my tax dollars are going to, Congress itself is a is a racket. Absolutely. It's a, a total racket, right? So there is like from one institution to another to another to another, there's just like in my face, like we are abusing this system. We're abusing that system, you know? And I've gotten to the point where I don't know, again, if it's like super cynicism where I say like, there are things I'd like to change and I I would change them as best I could. Mm-hmm. But by, you know, reacting or responding like these ways that these guys are, are trying to intellectually say like, why are you watching this barbaric sport? I, I want to be like, okay, that is like, we're, now we're jumping, we're, we're putting the, the cart before the horse. Like, let's right. slow down and let's say what we're really upset about are all the things surrounding this sport. You know what I mean? But the fact that if anybody wants to say like, hey, I am going to climb Everest without oxygen, right? And I go, you know, you're probably <laughs> going to die doing that. Right. You know, like, do I ever have the right to be like, you know what? You're not allowed to do that. Like, you cannot climb that mountain without oxygen mm-hmm. and it's for your own good, right? Like, don't you have a problem with that too? Sure, like, yeah. Like, so I feel like, you know, with this sport of football that was created, it's in our culture, people are going to say, I'll play football. Hey, you know, you're slamming your body into other people going as fast as you can. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and if we limit that, do we really think that those people are going to be satisfied with whatever else you give them? Look what people are like. Look on YouTube. Yeah. There are people who are like, watch me jump from this three story building. Why are you right. doing this? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they just like, this is what I want to do, yeah. you know? And I, so I don't know. I feel like we can, you know, the, the institution of the NFL can do a lot to address player safety i think they're doing it in a really stupid way and roundabout way and they're not having honest conversations i think still like you said like you bring up a really interesting point of of the the you know i wonder what the commentators are like allowed to like hey mccoy don't right. bring up that hit right? right like that makes sense i could see them being coached in that way yeah. and i would have real issues with that but still it doesn't touch to me like that core of watching the sport of football or watching people put push themselves or compete towards a goal in something that has danger and, and violence built into it. I, I, I don't have a problem with that, I guess, you know, because like, are, can we eliminate all violence from our lives and our society and even our entertainment or something? I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we should do that. I don't know if we would be, have a net gain by, by taking out the NFL totally. Right. I don't see what that does to our culture. Be like, see, now it's the utopia that I thought it would be. Isn't it, everybody? Like, right. all we need was the NFL out of right. here. <laughs> and look at us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do uh, Let's do some quick hits. All right? Okay. Uh, Ray Rice. What do you think? Ray Rice. Should he be ever allowed back in the NFL? Okay. So, so uh, re- really quick, just to frame this. We are now like... 
gods of the NFL. We get to right. to speak in being whatever we want to happen, right. right? Okay, in an ideal world, you commit violence against your fiance or whatever, mm-hmm. you're out of the league, buddy. You're Period. a psycho. Never can come back. Okay, I like your idea of rehabilitation. Right. Of And by of all accounts, like from what I've read, Ray Rice was a great guy, like yeah. a huge figurehead in the Baltimore community. Right. Up until this point. Right. I, I would say, I would say, look, yeah, my, my initial feeling, of course, like I watched that video, even not wanting to watch it. I saw that stupid video right. and seeing that video, it makes me think like this guy. Yeah. Get him away from her, mm-hmm. from everybody, you know, but yeah, I, I think again, like, look, she's not pressing charges. Like, right. That's another frustrating aspect yeah. of this story. But yeah, I would say, look, he, he needs to absolutely go away mm-hmm. and he absolutely needs to deal with whatever it was that caused him to, to respond that way. Right. Um, but yeah, I would love to see him like initially in the NFL, like if I was commissioner where I'd be like, Hey Ray, maybe you can come back later on. Like, you know, Mike Vick fighting dogs. Like you need exactly. to go, exactly. you need to go like pay your dues, right. get some stuff sorted out. Right. Come back later on, but but you're you're done for the season, maybe. Like right. And just- and even then, there are a ton of people who will not forgive Michael Vick. And it's like, you know, like, look, I love dogs. I love my dog. I right. grew up with dogs. But it's like, like at what point do you say, look, this guy grew up a certain way. He had this wrong point of view that was never corrected. He got in trouble. The things he were do he was doing were horrific, right? Yeah. But guess what? Like he changed. He turned it around. Right. But it's like there are people who still will not let up on Michael Vick. Right. And that is baffling to me. It's like, and, and that's kind of how I see the Ray Rice thing. And again, my issue with the Ray Rice thing isn't as much with Ray Rice as it is with how the NFL and the Ravens handled it, yeah. right? And it's just as like, obviously what he did is horrible, and unjustifiable and he needs to like come to terms with that. You know what right. I mean? Like, like if you're going to suspend him for two games, then you stand by that suspension. Even when the video comes, comes out, you either say, you know what? We saw the video or the, the video is what the video is. This, our rules are that it's his first offense. offense. It's two games, right? right? We've changed the policy because of this. Or you can say, we didn't see the video before, which I think is garbage. Right. But we'll, Give that conceit, right? We didn't see the video before. We saw the video now. It's terrible. So we're upgrading him to the new, to the new rule, which is six games. But you can't just be like, the video's out. Everyone's freaking out. Yeah, you're out of the league. You, know what well, I mean? you yeah. can't do that. Yeah, that, that's yeah. not right. Yeah, it, and I guess the other thing too, though, that that you know, that Ray Rice allowed his now wife to come out and say where she was like, I apologize for my well, role. And the in Ravens this. did that too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, dude, the, the Ravens' Twitter account was right. like, she apologized. Right. Like, I wanted to be like, whoever tweeted that needs to be kicked out of the league. Right. You know, to be like, how dare you try and like, oh, she she apologized to everybody, just FYI. Like, the, the fact that Ray Rice allowed his wife to stand up and say that leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. It makes me think like, you know, again, again, if I was commissioner, I'd be like, hey, Ray, 
not only for what you did, but the way that you're handling this thing. Right. Get out of yeah, here. You're, you're you know? gone. You're, you're, yeah, you're, 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 you're gone. And that needs, but that to me, that needs to be followed with like a policy change. It needs to be like, yeah. like we didn't maybe like as a, as a league, we didn't recognize the severity of domestic violence before or the pink impact that it had because of this video, because of this incident, you know, first time offenders are, are out and they have to go through this program before they can come back. <laughs> but you, I, I just, like I said, my issue is with the way they yeah. handle. Obviously, Ray Rice needs to do something, right? right? He needs to take care of that, however way he can. He needs to go through rehab, go through anger management, whatever. But I have no issue with him doing that, just like Michael Vick did. And if he's still talented enough to play in the NFL, and if he has changed and people see a change, I have no issue with giving him a second chance later on down the line. Yeah. But like I said, the 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 way that it was handled is what really yeah. drove me nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, I I'm I'm in total agreement. Was okay. it was that our quick hit? Yeah, sorry. Quick Adrian, no, no, no. It was me. It was me. Adrian too. Peterson. Yeah, Adrian Peterson. I feel same like thing? yeah, same thing. But in the sense that you know, I love the fact that some people came out and tried to defend him by saying like, look, this is all alleged. Like it's not in. And you know the um, the Vikings tried to reinstate him. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be like, look. There are pictures, right? Uh, you know, and and because of that, like you have the authority, because it's not just like a like a loose, you know, vague claim where it's like, well, where's the proof? It could just be a disgruntled, you know, mother, mm-hmm. you know, saying like he did this, and I don't have any proof, but he did it, right? right? On that, I say that needs to be like dealt with in the court. Like that's like the Woody Allen thing. Like, I'm not going to get upset at Woody Allen because I don't know. Like, it may be a damning um, accusation, but there's there's literally no... I cannot, even if somebody tells me this is what happened to me, be like, oh, yeah, I'm taking your word totally. And I don't know you and I don't know him. I don't know. I don't know either of you, yeah. you know? And so with, with what's different about the Adrian Peterson thing though, is, is that it's not a vague claim it is like, and there's like texts of him being like, you know, to that, to the, to His the mother of that insane. one, <laughs> they're insane. <laughs> yeah. Where I would be like, this is no longer like a, let the courts work it out. And he can say like, no, we saw the pic, like you said, like we saw the video, like we saw the pictures, we, um, you know, saw the texts and on that basis alone, we have the ability to say, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson, you're off the team, like right. indefinitely right. or, you know, right. But, and that's the thing too, like his team can cut him, but the league under their policy, well, I guess because the new policy is six games for domestic violence, if a child is involved, they can up the severity of that. Yeah. Right. So I guess that's a little vague, but two with that situation, it's, it, it stills a little cloudy because it's, you know, it's child discipline, which is a touchy subject for some people. It's like, do mm-hmm. you spank your kids? Do you not? Obviously this went a lot further than right. spanking, but switches are something that is very common in certain eras, in certain neighborhoods still, in certain, you know, cultures. A switch is something that is not viewed as out of the ordinary, right? Right. And from my viewpoint, I can very clearly see that I can call it child abuse. I can see that and say, like, this is abusive. This is way too far than you should have ever gone. But I don't think... Adrian Peterson, I I think the way he talks about it in his texts is exactly how he views it. (laughs) I don't think he views it as abuse. I don't think he views it as 
I've like lost control or I'm some kind of monster. I'm not saying that to justify what he's done. I'm just saying that it kind of muddies the waters didn't a little he, bit. Didn't he like shove leaves in his kid's mouth or something too? Like I that think I, heard? I don't know. Made I him put like that was a rumor. I don't know if that mouth. was ever confirmed. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Uh, and then Goodell. Does he keep oh his job? Does gosh. he not? Should he keep his job? Should he not? Look, if you if you want to talk about me not watching football anymore, <laughs> it may be mostly because of Goodell. Mm-hmm. Like that guy has no perspective he needs to he needs to like man up yeah. and be like i am a total a-hole yeah i'm leaving this post yeah he stinks yeah i need to i need to get out of here yeah and especially with um adam silver who just took over the nba right it's like i feel like the stuff with with get with goodell it would still be bad right but i feel like it wouldn't be as bad if you didn't have this like fairly good um alternative in adam silver and what he's right. dealt with with the nba so far you know right. what i mean like i think you could still argue about whether or not sterling legally could have been kicked out the way he was right but i don't think you can argue with like how well silver handled it and, right and how you could tell he was like listening to the people around him right whereas goodell is just he's basically like plugging his ears yeah closing his eyes and like because he's got these like such deep inroads with the owners of the league, he's kind of untouchable. Yeah, exactly. And and again, I think I think those are the real issues that, that we're facing. But I lose perspective right. of the of you know when, when we start talking about those those larger issues and I'm like, I don't see how my enjoyment of a sport in any way is addressing or touching some of these real concerns with how the NFL, you know, um governs itself yeah. with the people involved in the NFL, with the owners of the NFL, you know, with college football, with the system that's in place. Like it's all, it's, it's horrible. Right. And a lot of other crap is horrible that we, that yeah. we live with every single day. That's very true. All right. Well, that was our uh, football talk. It's will be the last football talk we do for a that's while. It. At least <laughs> we got I'm it done. out of our system. I'm done. Uh, we're, we'll take a, a final break and we'll come back with recommendations. show maybe like a month a little over a month but last show i recommended to you the my brother my brother and me podcast right yes okay the adventure zone episode um where they did and uh, an instance of dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. so what did you think uh you know i have to say i i'm not listening to the podcast mm-hmm. so I felt like that you one. You only listened to that episode. I only listened to that, to, to that one. I I felt I got it. You right. know, um, I, it honestly it kind of threw me the humor. Yeah. Because it's not just these brothers, but it's their dad as well. well. And the dad is not normally on the show. Okay. Right. And with this dad on there, like early on. One of the brothers makes a masturbation joke. Right. They set a very stark tone, like right from the outset. Right. Involving like referencing his dad. It's not even like his dad was there. Right. It was like pointed towards his dad. Right. And right. it just made me feel really <laughs> weird. Yeah. 
And uh, it was a funny joke too. Right. But I guess maybe I flashed back to like my relationship with my father. I was like, that could never ever happen. And that is weird. I think think it's very atypical. Yeah. Yeah. That, that somebody would feel comfortable being like, Hey dad heard this great joke, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so that kind of, kind of threw me for a little bit. Um, I think ultimately it was, it was funny. Like I, I laughed I'm not sure on a podcast, like what constitutes like this was worth it. I laughed X amount of times. I think I laughed enough to, to justify like listening to it. It wasn't mind blowing. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, yeah, like this is the funniest thing I've, I've mm-hmm. ever heard or even heard in a while, but it was funny. to. And I guess one thing that you, that you kind of said in setting up was you compared it to our playing of Munchkin. Yeah. And I guess I was, our playing was kind of a little more pointed with some people who are not, involved at all right and i was waiting to hear like the person who is like when it all breaks down right but it never really breaks down it's like they're all yeah yeah they're all like pitching in and they're trying and so that that i was i kept waiting for like okay who's the guy who's just gonna be like this is dumb i'm out of here basically served as the counterpoint to our experience like yes in our experience no one was there were five people playing we were the only two that were on board. Right. 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 We were fighting a like not even an uphill battle. We were fighting like a straight uphill battle, right? Right. We had no chance. Whereas this was like everyone gets on board. Even though like from the outset you think like this there's no way this dad's going to be into it, right? Yeah. But he's into it. He's like, into it. He's really into it. Uh, but what the reason I recommended it was because I do it is funny. I did think it was really funny, but it reminded me of that of our, of us playing Munchkin, but I was surprised at how like drawn into the actual story of the game I got and how oh, yeah. interesting I found that to be. And that also kind of reminded me of the episode of Freaks and Geeks where they started yeah. playing Dungeons and Dragons with James Franco, right? And yeah. it's like it re- reminded me of that. And then by the end of it, I was kind of like, like. I thought it was going to be like a multiple part episode. That was like the only one they did. Right. I was expecting right. like, I want to know what happens next. Right. I want to know how this ends, but I guess that was just where they stopped. Yeah. Cause they, they kind of leave it hanging. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, no, that, that's an interesting point. Cause I think you're absolutely right. Did it make you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? Not really because, and that's the other thing I, because I've never played before. And because it's an audio podcast, I don't know how much of that is, their humor how much are they creating on the fly you know what i mean like i wouldn't be i know for a fact i wouldn't be good at making stuff up like that as i go along right at least enough to be like funny or enjoyable for the people around right i like to take my time and think things through stuff like that so but it did like make me like i said it just made me want to hear more of that right like i just want a podcast a weekly podcast of them playing dungeons and dragons or maybe like a monthly podcast you know what i mean um, and it just kind of, it just kind of caught me off guard, I guess. That's why I recommended it. Cause it was just unexpected. Right. It's, yeah. it, I hadn't, you know, we've all listened to podcasts of people talking to each other or joking around about, we're talking about this subject or talking about that, but I'd never heard somebody like, or this group of people play a game together before. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. All so, right. 
So your recommendation, this show episode. Right. My recommendation is a short story by Flannery Mm O'Connor called A Good Man is Hard to Find. Um, I think it's it's become kind of a touchstone in our culture. Um, There are multiple songs, you know, with that title. Um, That is a very common short story to read in high school literature um, courses. And it wasn't, I read that story late in life. Right. And to me, it it made me like fall in love with Flannery O'Connor. And I find it has like the perfect balance of like beguiling narrative where you're, you know, perplexed by it, but also with enough there that you can connect with, you know, the story that it's being told, but still get to the end of it and be ready to like read everything about like what, Mm -hmm. what does this mean? You Mm -hmm. know? And it really like sent me on like a quest. And I think that's the culture that both of us like, I think Mm -hmm. that's the culture I like is, is, you know, a piece of work that when you're done with it, doesn't leave you satisfied in the sense of like, well, that was enjoyable time to go to sleep, but it's like, (laughs) I need to like, read more about this right. i need to find out what people are saying about right. this yeah and i need to at some point in my life try and rip this off and mimic right. it and write right. something like this you right. know yeah all right well i look forward to it all I'm right excited uh that does it for this episode of everything that is interesting you can follow the show on twitter uh we are at brown blue white you can find any show notes uh, in the description or on our website at brownbluewhite.com. We'll have all of the music credits in there, uh, a link to the video we talked about during Maiden Trip, Kick the Burger to the Moon video. Oh, yeah. And you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. I'm at Things Come Right. And uh, that does it. We'll see you whenever we see ya (laughs) great sign off (laughs) 